0: Chapter 20 of Lady Rose's Daughter by Mrs. Humphrey Ward. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 20 of Lady Rose's Daughter. Jacob, what brings you back so soon? The Duchess ran into the room, a trim little figure in her morning dress of blue and white cloth, with her small spitz leaping beside her. Delafield advanced. I came to tell you that I got your telegram yesterday, and that in the evening, by an extraordinary and fortunate chance, I met Miss Le Breton in Paris. "'You met Julie in Paris?' echoed the Duchess in astonishment. She had come to spend a couple of days with some friends there before going on to Bruges. I gave her the news of Lord Lackington's illness, and she at once turned back. She was much fatigued and distressed, and the night was stormy. I put her into the sleeping-car, and came back myself to see if I could be any assistance to her, and at Calais I was of some use, the crossing was very rough. "'Julie was in Paris,' repeated the Duchess, as though she had heard nothing else of what he had been saying. Her eyes so blue and large, and her small irregular face sought those of her cousin and endeavored to read them. It seems to have been a rapid change of plan, and it was a great stroke of luck my meeting her but how and where oh there is no time for going into that said delafield impatiently but i knew you would like to know that she was here after your message yesterday we arrived a little after six this morning about nine i went for news to st james's square there is a slight rally did you say lord Uredale? did you say anything about julie asked the duchess eagerly i merely asked at the door and took the bulletin to miss le breton "'Will you see Eurydale and arrange it? "'I gather you saw him yesterday.' "'By all means,' said the Duchess, musing. it was so curious yesterday. "'Lord Lackington had just told them. "'You should have seen those two men.' "'The sons?' "'The Duchess nodded. "'They don't like it. "'They were stiff as pokers. "'But they will do absolutely the right thing. "'They see at once that she must be provided for. "'And when he asked for her, they told me to telegraph, "'if I could find out where she was.' "'Well, of all the extraordinary chances.' She looked at him again oddly, a spot of red on either small cheek. Delafield took no notice. He was pacing up and down, apparently in thought. "'Suppose you take her there,' he said, pausing abruptly before her. "'To St. James's Square. What did you tell her?' "'That he was a trifle better, and that you would come to her.' "'Yes, it would be hard for her to go alone,' said the Duchess reflectively. She looked at her watch. "'Only a little after eleven. "'Ring, please, Jacob.' The carriage was ordered. Meanwhile, the little lady inquired eagerly after her Julie. Had she been exhausted by the double journey? Was she alone in Paris? Or was Madame Bournier with her? Jacob had understood that Madame Bournier and the little girl had gone straight to Bruges. The Duchess looked down, and then looked up. "'Did—did you come across Major Warkworth?' "'Yes. I saw him for a moment in the Rue de la Paix. He was starting for Rome.' The duchess turned away, as though ashamed of her question, and gave her orders for the carriage. Then her attention was suddenly drawn to her cousin. "'How pale you look, Jacob,' she said, approaching him. "'Won't you have something? Some wine?' Delafield refused, declaring that all he wanted was an hour or two's sleep. "'I go back to Paris tomorrow,' he said as he prepared to take his leave. "'Will you be here tonight if I look in?' "'Alack, we go to Scotland tonight. It was just a piece of luck that you found me this morning.' Freddy is fuming to get away. Delafield paused a moment, then he abruptly shook hands and went. He wants news of what happens at St. James's Square, thought the Duchess suddenly, and she ran after him to the top of the stairs. Jacob, if you don't mind a horrid mess tonight, Freddy and I shall be dining alone. Of course we must have something to eat. Somewhere about eight, do look in. There'll be a cutlet, on a trunk anyway. Delafield laughed, hesitated, and finally accepted. The duchess went back to the drawing-room, not a little puzzled and excited. "'It's very, very odd,' she said to herself. "'And what is the matter with Jacob?' Half an hour later she drove to the splendid house in St. James's Square, where Lord Lackington lay dying. She asked for Lord Eurydale, the eldest son, and waited in the library till he came. He was a tall, squarely built man, with fair hair already grey, and somewhat absent and impassive manners. At sight of him the duchess's eyes filled with tears— she hurried to him her soft nature dissolved in sympathy how is your father a trifle easier though the doctors say there is no real improvement but he is quite conscious knows us all i have just been reading him the debate you told me yesterday he had asked for miss le breton said the duchess raising herself on tiptoe as though to bring her low tones closer to his ear she's here in town i mean she came back from paris last night lord uredale showed no emotion of any kind Emotion was not in his line. Then my father would like to see her, he said in a dry, ordinary voice, which jarred upon the sentimental Duchess. When shall I bring her? He is now comfortable in resting, if you are free. The Duchess replied that she would go to Herbert Street at once. As Lord Yirredale took her to her carriage, a young man ran down the steps hastily, raised his hat, and disappeared. Lord Uredale explained that he was the husband of the famous young beauty, Mrs. Delaray, whose portrait Lord Lackington had been engaged upon at the time of his seizure. Having been all his life a skilful artist, a man of fashion, and a harmless haunter of lovely women, Lord Lackington, as the Duchess knew, had all but completed a gallery of a hundred portraits, representing the beauty of the reign. Mrs. Delaray's would have been the hundredth, in a series of which Mrs. Norton was the first. "'He has been making arrangements with the husband to get it finished,' said Lord Uredale. "'It has been on his mind.' The duchess shivered a little. He knows he won't finish it. Quite well. And he still thinks of those things. Yes, or politics, said Lord Yordale, smiling faintly. I have written to Mr. Montresser. There are two or three points my father wants to discuss with him. And he is not depressed or troubled about himself. Not in the least. He will be grateful if you will bring him Miss Le Breton. Julie, my darling, are you fit to come with me? The duchess held her friend in her arms, soothing and caressing her. How forlorn was the little house under its dust-sheets on this rainy spring morning! And Julie, amid the dismantled drawing-room, stood spectrally white and still, listening with scarcely a word in reply to the affection or the pity or the news which the duchess poured out upon her. "'Shall we go now? I am quite ready,' and she withdrew herself from the loving grasp which held her, and put on her hat and gloves. "'You ought to be in bed,' Said the Duchess. Those night journeys are too abominable. Even Jacob looks a wreck. But what an extraordinary chance, Julie, that Jacob should have found you. How did you come across each other? At the North Station, said Julie as she pinned her veil before the glass over the mantelpiece. Some instinct silenced the Duchess. She asked no more questions, and they started for Saint James's Square. You won't mind if I don't talk? said Julie, leaning back and closing her eyes. I seem still to have the sea in my ears the duchess looked at her tenderly clasping her hand close and the carriage rolled along but just before they reached st james's square julie hastily raised the fingers which held her own and kissed them oh julie said the duchess reproachfully i don't like you to do that she flushed and frowned it was she who ought to pay such acts of homage not julie father miss le breton is here let her come in jack and the duchess too lord Uredale went back to the door Two figures came noiselessly into the room, the Duchess in front, with Julie's hand in hers. Lord Lackington was propped up in bed and breathing fast, but he smiled as they approached him. "'This is good-bye, dear Duchess,' he said in a whisper as she bent over him, then with a spark of his old gaiety in the eyes, "'I should be a cur to grumble. Life has been very agreeable. Ah, Julie!' Julie dropped gently on her knees beside him and laid her cheek against his arm. At the mention of her name the old man's face had clouded as though the thought she called up had suddenly rebuked his words to the Duchess. He feebly moved his hands toward hers, and there was silence in the room for a few moments. Euredale, "'Yes, father.' "'This is Rose's daughter.' His eyes lifted themselves to those of his son. "'I know, father. If Miss Le Breton will allow us, we will do what we can to be of service to her.' Bill Chantry, the younger brother gravely nodded assent. They were both men of middle age, the younger over forty. They did not resemble their father, nor was there any trace in either of them of his wayward fascination. They were a pair of well set up, well bred Englishmen, surprised at nothing, and quite incapable of showing any emotion in public, yet just and kindly men. As Julie entered the house they had both solemnly shaken hands with her, in a manner which showed at once their determination, as far as they were concerned, to avoid anything sentimental or in the nature of the scene and their readiness to do what could be rightly demanded of them julie hardly listened to lord Uredale's little speech she had eyes and ears only for her grandfather as she knelt beside him her face bowed upon his hand the ice within her was breaking up that dumb and straightening anguish in which she had lived since that moment at the nord station in which she had grasped the meanings and the implications of delafield's hurried words was everything to be swept away from her at once her lover and now this dear old man to whom her heart crushed and bleeding as it was, yearned with all its strength? Lord Lackington supposed that she was weeping. "'Don't grieve, my dear,' he murmured. "'It must come to an end sometime. C'est chemin promenade à travers la réalité. And he smiled at her, agreeably vain to the last of that French accent and that French memory which, so his look implied, they too could appreciate, each in the other. Then he turned to the Duchess. "'Duchess!' You knew the secret before me, but I forgive you, and thank you. You have been very good to Rose's child. Julie has told me, and I have observed. Oh, dear Lord Lackington! Evelyn bent over him. Trust her to me, she said with a lovely yearning to comfort and cheer him, breathing from her little face. He smiled. To you, and— He did not finish the sentence— After a pause he made a little gesture of farewell, which the Duchess understood. She kissed his hand and turned away, weeping. "'Nurse? Where is nurse?' said Lord Lackington. Both the nurse and the doctor, who had withdrawn a little distance from the family group, came forward. "'Doctor, give me some strength,' said the laboring voice, not without its old wilfulness of accent. He moved his arm towards the young homeopath who injected strychnine. Then he looked at the nurse.' Brandy and lift me. All was done as he desired. Now go, please, he said to his sons. I wish to be left with Julie. For some moments that seemed interminable to Julie, Lord Lackington lay silent. A feverish flush, a revival of life in the black eyes had followed on the administration of the two stimulants. He seemed to be gathering all his forces. At last he laid his hand on her arm. You shouldn't be alone, he said abruptly. His expression had grown anxious, even imperious. She felt a vague pang of dread as she tried to assure him that she had kind France, and that her work would be her resource. Lord Lackington frowned. That won't do, he said almost vehemently. You have great talents, but you are weak. You are a woman. You must marry. Julie stared at him, wider even than when she had entered his room, helpless to avert what she began to foresee. Jacob Delafield is devoted to you you should marry him dear you should marry him the room seemed to swim around her but his face was still plain the purpled lips and cheeks the urgency in the eyes as of one pursued by an overtaking force the magnificent brow the crown of white hair she summoned all her powers and told him hurriedly that he was mistaken entirely mistaken mr delafield had indeed proposed to her but apart from her own unwillingness she had reason to know that his feelings towards her were now entirely changed he neither loved her nor thought well of her. Lord Lackington lay there, obstinate, patient, incredulous. At last he interrupted her. You make yourself believe these things, but they are not true. Delafield is attached to you. I know it. He nodded to her with his masterful, affectionate look, and before she could find words again he had resumed, He could give you a great position, don't despise it. We English bigwits have a good time. A ghostly, humorous ray shot out upon her. Then he felt for her hand. "'Dear Julie, why won't you?' "'If you were to ask him,' she cried in despair, he would tell you as I do." And across her miserable thoughts there flashed two mingled images, Warkworth waiting, waiting for her at the Skoe station, and that look of agonized reproach in Delafield's haggard face as he had parted from her in the dawn of this strange, this incredible day. And here beside her, with the tyranny of the dying, this dear babbler wandered on in broken words with painful breath, pleading, scolding, and counseling. She felt that he was exhausting himself. She begged him to let her recall nurse and doctor. He shook his head, and when he could no longer speak, he clung to her hand, his gaze solemnly and insistently fixed upon her. Her spirit writhed and rebelled, but she was helpless in the presence of this mortal weakness, this affection half earthly, half beautiful on its knees before her a thought struck her why not content him whatever pledges she gave would die with him what did it matter it was cruelty to deny him the words the mere empty words he asked of her i I would do anything to please you she said with a sudden burst of uncontrollable tears as she laid her head down beside him on the pillow if he were to ask me again of course for your sake i would consider it once more dear dear friend, won't that satisfy you? Lord Lackington was silent a few moments, then he smiled. That's a promise. She raised herself and looked at him, conscious of a sick movement of terror. What was there in his mind still so quick, fertile, ingenious, under the very shadow of death? He waited for her answer, feebly pressing her. Yes, she said faintly, and once more hid her face beside him. Then for some time the dying man neither stirred nor spoke. At last Julie heard, "'I used to be afraid of death. That was a middle life. Every night it was a torment. But now, for many years, I have not been afraid at all. Byron, Lord Byron said to me once, he would not change anything in his life, but he would have preferred not to have lived at all. I could not say that. I have enjoyed it all. Being an Englishman and an English peer, pictures, politics, society, everything— Perhaps it wasn't fair. There are so many poor devils. Julie pressed his hand to her lips, but in her thoughts there rose the sudden sharp memory of her mother's death, of that bitter stoicism and abandonment in which the younger life had closed, in comparison with this peace, this complacency. Yet it was a complacency rich in sweetness. His next words were to assure her tenderly that he had made provision for her. Uridale and Bill will see to it. They're good fellows. Often they thought me a pretty fool, but they've always been kind to me. Always. Then after another interval he lifted himself in bed, with more strength than she had supposed he could exert, looked at her earnestly, and asked her in the same painful whisper whether she believed in another life. Yes, said Julie, but her shrinking perfunctory manner evidently distressed him. He resumed with a furrowed brow. You ought—it's good for us to believe it. I must hope, at any rate, that I shall see you again. And, Mamma," she said, smiling on him through her tears. I wonder what it'll be like, he replied after a pause. His tone and look implied a freakish, a whimsical curiosity, yet full of charm. Then motioning to her come nearer, and speaking into her ear. Your poor mother, Julie, was never happy, never. There must be laws, you see, in churches and religious customs. It's because we're made of such wretched stuff. My wife, when she died, made me promise to continue going to church and praying, and without it I should have been a bad man. Though I have had plenty of skeptical thoughts—plenty! Your poor parents rebelled against all that. They suffered. They suffered. But you'll make up. You're a noble woman. You'll make up. He laid his hand on her head. She offered no reply, but through the inner mind there rushed the incidents, passions, revolts of the preceding days but for the strange chance of Delafield's appearance in her path—a chance no more intelligible to her now, after the pondering of several feverish hours, than it had been at the moment of her first suspicion—where and what would she be now? A dishonored woman, perhaps, with a life secret to keep, cut off as her mother had been from the straight-living, law-abiding world. The touch of the old man's hand upon her hair roused in her a first recoil, a first shattering doubt of the impulse which had carried her to Paris since Delafield left her in the early dawn she had been pouring out a broken, passionate heart in a letter to Warkworth, no misgivings while she was writing it, as to the all-sufficing legitimacy of love. But here, in this cold neighborhood of the grave, brought back to gaze in spirit on her mother's tragedy, she shrank, she trembled. Her proud intelligence denied the stain, and bade her hate and despise her rescuer. And meanwhile, things also inherited, and inborn, the fruit of a remoter ancestry— Rising from the dimmest and deepest caverns of personality, silenced the clamour of the naturalist mind. One moment she felt herself seized with terror lest anything should break down the veil between her real self and this unsuspecting tenderness of the dying man. The next she rose in revolt against her own fear. was she to find herself after all a mere weak, penitent, meanly grateful to Jacob Delafield? Her heart cried out to Workworth in protesting anguish. So absorbed in thought was she that she did not notice how long the silence had lasted. "He seems to be sleeping,' said a low voice beside her. She looked up to see the doctor with Lord Uredale gently releasing herself. She kissed Lord Lackington's forehead and rose to her feet. Suddenly the patient opened his eyes, and as he seemed to become aware of the figures beside him, he again lifted himself in bed, and a gleam most animated, most vivacious, passed over his features. "'Brown's not asked,' he said with a little chuckle of amusement. "'Isn't it a joke?' The two men beside him looked at each other. Lord Yordale approached the bed. "'Not as to what, father?' he said gently. "'Why, to the Queen's fancy ball, of course,' said Lord Lackington, still smiling. "'Such a to-do! All the elderly sticks practicing minuets for their lives.' A voluble flow of talk followed, hardly intelligible. "'The words, Melbourne!' and lady holland emerged fragment apparently of a dispute with the latter in which allen intervened the names of palmerston and that dear chap villiers lord Uredale sighed the young doctor looked at him interrogatively he is thinking of his old friends said the son that was the queen's ball i imagine of forty-two i have often heard him describe my mother's dress but while he was speaking the fitful energy died away the old man ceased to talk his eyelids fell but the smile still lingered about his mouth as he settled himself on his pillows like one who rests the spectators were struck by the urbane and distinguished beauty of his aspect the purple flesh had died again into mortal pallor illness had masked or refined the weakness of mouth and chin the beautiful head and countenance with their characteristic notes of youth impetuosity a kind of gay detachment had never been more beautiful the young doctor looked stealthily from the recumbent figure to the tall and slender woman standing absorbed and grief-stricken beside his, his bed. The likeness was as evident to him as it had been in the winter to Sir Wilfrid Bury. As he was escorting her downstairs, Lord Yordale said to his companion, "'Foster thinks he may still live twenty-four hours.' "'If he asks for me again,' said Julie, now shrouded once more behind a thick, black veil, "'you will send,' he gravely assented. It is a great pity," he said with a certain stiffness. Did it unconsciously mark the difference between her and his legitimate kindred? That my sister Lady Blanche and her daughter cannot be with us. They are in Italy. At Florence. My niece has had an attack of diphtheria. She could neither travel, nor could her mother leave her. Then, pausing in the hall, he added in a low voice and with some embarrassment, My father has told you, I believe, of the addition he has made to his will? Julie drew back. "'I neither asked for it nor desired it,' she said in her coldest and clearest voice. "'That I quite understand,' said Lord Yordale. "'But you cannot hurt him by refusing.' She hesitated. "'No, but afterwards I must be free to follow my own judgment.' "'We cannot take what does not belong to us,' he said with some sharpness. "'My brother and I are named as your trustees. Believe me, we will do our best.' meanwhile the younger brother had come out of the library to bid her farewell she felt that she was under critical observation though both pairs of gray eyes refrained from any appearance of scrutiny her pride came to her aid and she did not shrink from the short conversation which the two brothers evidently desired when it was over and the brothers returned to the hall after putting her into the duchess's carriage the younger said to the elder she can behave herself johnny they looked at each other with their hands in their pockets a little nod passed between them, an augur-like acceptance of this new and irregular member of the family. "'Yes, she has excellent manners,' said Lord Yerdale. And really, after the tales Lady Henry has been spreading, that's something.' "'Oh, I always thought Lady Henry an old cat,' said Bill, tranquilly. That don't matter." The Chantrew brothers had not been among Lady Henry's habitues in her— The Shantry brothers had not been among Lady Henry's habits. In her eyes, they were the dull sons of an agreeable father. They were humorously aware of it, and bore her little malice. "'No,' said Lord Urdal, raising his eyebrows. "'But the affair with Warkworth, if there's any truth in what one hears, that's deuced unpleasant.' Bill Chantry whistled. "'It's hard luck on that poor child Aline that it should be her own cousin interfering with her preserves. By the way,' he stooped to look at the letters on the hall table, "'do you see there's the letter for father from Blanche?' and in a letter I got from her by the same post she says that she has told him the whole story. According to her, Eileen's too ill to be thwarted, and she wants the governor to see the guardians. I say, Johnny, he looked at his brother, will not trouble father with it now? Certainly not, said Lord Yordell with a sigh. I saw one of the trustees, Jack Underwood, yesterday. He told me Blanche and the child were more infatuated than ever. Very likely what one hears is a pack of lies.' If not, I hope this woman will have the good taste to drop it. Father has charged me to write to Blanche and tell her the whole story of poor Rose, and of this girl's revealing herself. Blanche, it appears, is just as much in the dark as we were. If this gossip has gotten round to her, her feelings will be mixed. Oh, well, I've great faith in money," said Bill Chantry carelessly, as they began to mount the stairs again. It sounds disgusting, but if the child wants him, I suppose she must have him. And anyway, the man's off to Africa for twelve months at least. Miss LeBreton will have time to forget him. One can't say that either he or she has behaved with delicacy, unless indeed she knew nothing of Eileen, which is quite probable. "'But don't ask me to tackle her,' said Urdale. "'She has the ways of an empress.' Bill Chantry shrugged his shoulders. "'And by George, she looks as if she could fall in love,' he said slowly. "'Magnificent eyes, Johnny.' i propose to make a study of our new niece lord duerdale said a voice on the stairs the young doctor descended rapidly to meet them his lordship is asking for some one he said he seems excited but i cannot catch the name lord duerdale ran upstairs later in the day a man emerged from lackington house and walked rapidly towards the mall it was jacob delafield he passed across the mall and into st james's park there he threw himself on the first seat he saw in an absorption so deep that it excited the wondering notice of more than one passer-by after about half an hour he roused himself and walked still in the same brown study to his lodgings in jermyn street there he found a letter which he eagerly opened dear jacob julie came back this morning about one o'clock i waited for her and at first she seemed quite calm and composed but suddenly as i was sitting beside her talking she fainted away in her chair and i was terribly alarmed We sent for the doctor at once. He shakes his head over her and says there are all the signs of a severe strain of body and mind. No wonder, indeed! Our poor Julie! Oh, how I loathe some people! Well, there she is in bed. Madame Borny are away and everybody. I simply can't go to Scotland. But Freddy is just mad. Do, Jacob, there's a dear. Go and dine with him tonight and cheer him up. He vows he won't go north without me. Perhaps I'll come tomorrow. I could no more leave Julie tonight than fly she'll be ill for weeks. What I ought to do is take her abroad. She's very dear and good, but, oh, Jacob, as she lies there, I feel her heart's broken. And it's not Lord Lackington. Oh, no, though I'm sure she loved him. Do go to Freddy. There's a dear. No, that I won't, said Delafield, with a laugh that choked him as he threw the letter down. He tried to write an answer, but he could not achieve even the simplest note— Then he began a pacing of his room, which lasted till he dropped into his chair, worn out with the sheer physical exhaustion of the night and day. When his servant came in, he found his master in a heavy sleep, and at Crowborough House, the Duke dined and fumed alone. End of chapter 20